Hi, this is the American Psychological Association's Division 15 podcast series on emerging research in educational psychology. My name is Jeff Green. Thanks for joining us. So I love feedback. Having spent some time teaching about expertise development and studying self-regulated learning, I'm confident that one of the keys to becoming better at what we do is by getting good feedback about it from ourselves and from others. Effective feedback helps us understand and improve ourselves and our performance, but it's not entirely clear how effective feedback does its work. What happens to someone when they get effective feedback? How do they process it? How does that processing lead to better performance? These are just some of the questions pursued by my guests today, Naomi Winstone and Rob Nash. Back in 2017, Naomi and Rob, with their colleagues, published this fantastic systematic review of research on how people receive, engage with, and implement feedback. So I was thrilled when they proposed to guest edit a new special issue of Educational Psychologist on the psychology of effective feedback. Their issue is out now, and I'm thrilled to talk to them about their article in that special issue today. Their article, and, and really the whole special issue, are a major step toward better understanding how effective feedback works, and perhaps why I love effective feedback so much. Naomi Winstone is Professor of Educational Psychology and Director of the Surrey Institute of Education at the University of Surrey, where she also leads the Surrey Assessment and Learning Lab. Naomi's research focuses on the processing and implementation of feedback and the positioning of educators and students within feedback processes. Naomi is also an honorary professor in the Center for Research and Assessment and Digital Learning at Deakin University, Australia. She's a principal fellow of the Higher Education Academy and a UK National Teaching Fellow. Rob Nash is reader in psychology at Aston University in the UK. He is also head of psychological research at the recently established National Institute of Teaching which generates evidence-based research on professional development for school teachers and leaders in England. Rob is an experimental psychologist whose primary expertise is in human memory, but who has also spent the past decade working on understanding the psychological aspects of how and when students engage with feedback. He is a senior fellow of the Higher Education Academy. So today we're talking about Naomi and Rob's 2023 article in Educational Psychologist entitled, Toward a Cohesive Psychological Science of Effective Feedback, which is the introduction to a special issue on psychological perspectives on the effects and effectiveness of assessment feedback, which they guest edited. Naomi and Rob, thank you and congratulations on the special issue. I'm really excited to talk to you both today. Thank you very much, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. So for our listeners that don't know much about the feedback literature, can you tell us what feedback is? And in particular, can you talk about feedback as not just a product, but also a process? Yeah, so this distinction between feedback as information and feedback as a process is is something that we've been exploring for many years and, and which was part of the work that we did, which was published in 2017 in Educational Psychologist. So much, I think, feedback is talked about as, as the words that are, are given to learners, the, the comments that maybe are written or spoken, yet that feedback is only really going to have an impact on learning if something happens next. And to summarise the work that, that Rob and I have been doing together for nearly a decade now, it, it's really been trying to answer that question. What happens next? Mm -hmm. How is feedback understood, used, implemented? And what, as psychologists, can we bring to discussion and understanding of effective feedback? So that's really helpful. And with that, and with that kind of broader perspective of feedback as both product and process, why did you decide to guest edit a special issue on the psychological science of effective feedback? What drew you to this topic? One of the things that Naomi and I have talked about for a long time is how a lot of the literature on effective feedback comes very much from the perspective of asking learners or asking educators 
what they do or asking them what they find effective or what they think is effective. Mm-hmm. Very relatively less so focused on really studying what really does happen when people receive feedback. What is the actually going on and how do we measure that? How do we know what's going on beyond just simply asking people? And we were really interested to know to what extent is this literature out there and we're just not finding it? Um, And to what extent do we know what really needs to happen next? So Naomi and I have talked for a long time about trying to pull together what we know about the psychology of engagement with feedback. And this really seemed like a fantastic opportunity to delve into that and to bring together some of the really interesting threads of research that we did know already existed out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'd, we'd been thinking about how, from a psychological perspective, you could understand the effectiveness of feedback by thinking about cognitive psychology, understanding developmental effects individual differences, neuroscience and psychometrics as well. So we were interested in trying to bring together people who could look at this this topic of the effectiveness of feedback from different psychological perspectives as well. That makes a lot of sense to me. And, you know, your article talks about how, you know, people have this kind of response to feedback. They might say, oh, I really like that feedback or I didn't. You could watch their performance. But as you said, there's probably a lot going on internally, psychologically, that they may or may not have direct access to. Right. And it's one of the really wonderful things about your special issue and your introductory article that kind of makes its own contribution in addition to the special issue is trying to figure out, okay, like where do we go to really investigate Naomi, as you said, kind of the cognitive aspects, the motivational aspects, the affective aspects of receiving feedback and kind of what that does. So that all really makes sense. I mean, is there a theory of feedback out there that kind of says like, this is what you should do? Or, you know, when feedback is given, this is what happens. Is there kind of a predictive model of feedback out there? I think there are there are models of feedback um, out there, but many of the theoretical models that are out there are more descriptive than explanatory. Mm-hmm. So they give us this intuitive sense of how feedback might work, and, and that gives us a sense of validity. But whether they've got explanatory or predictive power, not so sure. Yet mm-hmm. we know that obviously a lot of things happen when somebody engages with feedback information and yet it's often been described as as taking place in a in a black box because yeah. those processes the mechanisms that lead to effectiveness are not necessarily visible or well known at least at the present time that's right yeah i think we we really observed that a lot of the existing theories or models of feedback tell us a lot about which kinds of factors we ought to be looking out for which kinds of factors we ought to be paying attention to in our research but not necessarily so much telling us exactly how those factors ought to be influencing the outcomes. Mm-hmm. What are the mechanisms involved rather than just what are the variables that we should be taking a look at? Well, what a wonderful opportunity to make a huge contribution to the field by helping them understand what are the things we should be considering and how can we start making progress towards a theory of feedback and feedback processing and a more predictive model. So really exciting that you've begun exploring this territory. And you did that with this systematic review of the literature on feedback since, you know, 2010. And what I thought was really cool about your review was lots of these reviews are about like what was found. And and you, of course, know a lot about that. But you really focused on 
like key priorities and recommendations for future research, what those authors were saying needs to happen next. So can you tell us a little bit about the review and what you found through that lens? One thing that I found interesting about this process when we very first started, Naomi came up with this idea that we would not try and do a whole new systematic review of what we already know, but to actually review what people were saying were the priorities for what we should do next, Mm -hmm. to review reviews, if you like, and just look at their recommendations for future research. What are their priorities? And one of the things that actually we later learned moving forward down the track a couple of years when this paper was eventually being reviewed, one of the reviewers asked us, do other papers use this kind of method? Is this (laughs) something that there's a precedent for to systematically review people's recommendations. And at that point, we realized actually this is quite a a novel method. There's Mm -hmm. some precedent in the medical literature that we were able to find, but very little in the education literature. So we realized at that point that actually even just the approach that we'd taken is potentially something that other sets of researchers in other areas of educational psychology could potentially productively draw upon just to actually figure out where a discipline is really going, which is what we were trying to do when we set out doing this research. Mm-hmm. And we were also interested in whether the nature of those recommendations had changed, whether we could see that the kinds of priorities had shifted. And in short, they hadn't. There was a lot of similarity um, in, in some of the key things that were being called for in terms of the development of the research field, which I think gave us an indication of perhaps why we need to think quite differently about the future of feedback research rather than continuing more of the same. It indicated there was a need for perhaps a shift rather than just those sort of small incremental developments in terms of the type of research that's being done. I mean, that is so cool. I I love this idea of, you know, kind of a next steps systematic review, right? Like at the end of every article, there's like, well, we should really do this next. And Naomi, as you said, maybe there hasn't been as much progress on those next steps as we might hope. And so an article like yours can really push the field in that direction and say like, here we go, like it's it's time. And so just such a wonderful piece and such a, a nice contribution. And Rob, it's exciting to hear that, you know, this could be like a, a guide for other researchers for a new kind of review, which is just awesome to think about. So, you know, as you did your review, you came up with 12 themes and, you know, we're not going to have time to go deeply into all of them, but can you tell us a little bit about the themes that stood out most for you and what they said to you about the field and where it should be headed? Yeah, so I think we we summarised these themes in terms of what they were telling us as really saying that as a whole, the field needs to become more scientific. So within our review, we found that there was a need for greater theoretical conceptual grounding, mm-hmm. call for, for more experimental research, randomised trials, mm-hmm. calls for different types of outcome variables, particularly looking at behaviour, the importance of study designs that looked at longer term impact of feedback, for example. So understanding generalizability of effects, And also, importantly, for what we were interested in, trying to uncover the mechanisms behind Mm -hmm. the effect of feedback. So we concluded as an overall point that feedback researchers were really pushing for feedback research to become more scientific, which led Mm -hmm. us to think about this psychological science of effective feedback and what that might look like. Some of those domains of priority that we focused on there that particularly interest me or that I think are especially important are the generalizability question. Mm -hmm. To what extent do 
the effects of feedback generalize not just across different situations and different contexts, but to different Mm -hmm. demographics, different cultures. That appears to be something that we know, well, certainly not enough about. But also another aspect that Naomi hasn't mentioned is the transferability of those effects. Mm -hmm. If a student or a learner benefits from a certain piece of feedback, they're able to improve their work are they able to improve their work the next time? How long do those effects last for? Um, do they right. develop transferable or long-term skills as a result of it? Mm-hmm. I think that's another question which crops up in lots of these different areas of feedback science, which all seem to say we don't know enough about this. Mm-hmm. Those are such important points, and they track so well with current emphases in other areas of psychology and the science of learning. You know, uh, there's a lot of concern that much of the work has been done with what they call kind of weird populations, you know, mm. very homogenous populations. We don't know a lot about whether prominent theories and findings in educational psychology really do apply to other cultures that are not falling within that homogenous group that has been studied or different domains, et cetera. So I'm really glad you brought that out. That seems like an incredibly important question to ask and idea to pursue. And then likewise, transfer, right? It kind of reminds me that, you know, give someone a fish versus teach them how to fish. You know, if you teach them how to fish, then they eat forever, you know, Feedback is great and it can help someone in the moment. But as you said, you really want feedback to help people improve their performance long term and transfer it to other contexts. So really fantastic themes and ones that I think are going to drive a lot of work. But then you did something I thought was really interesting. You kind of synthesized the themes and then kind of created this framework about learners' engagement with feedback. So again, you know, we, we can't dive really deep into it. There's a lot of rich material there, but can you give us kind of an overview of this framework and how it's helpful for the field? Sure. So what we were really interested in thinking about is not just the question of does any particular piece of feedback or a feedback intervention lead to behavior change, which is interesting. You know, a lot of feedback research focuses at that level Mm-hmm. Does an intervention change students' grades or their performance on some measurable aspect? But let's take it back a few steps. What might actually be happening at the individual level to the student who's receiving that feedback that might actually drive those kinds of behavioural effects? So we set out a framework of what we believe are some of the key kinds of psychological questions or the psychological mechanisms that might be underpinning any behavioral change that might happen as a result of feedback. Mm -hmm. And these can operate at lots of different levels. So we designed or described a six-part framework or a six-stage framework, which involves six kinds of psychological processes. So those were the desire for feedback. So that might include things like whether a student is actually willing to invest time or effort or resources in actually getting that feedback in the first place. We also have attending to the feedback. So once a student has received that feedback, do they spend time with it? Do they pay attention to what the feedback is actually saying? Next would be appraise, appraising the feedback. So for example, does the learner or the student perceive it as being relevant to themselves or do they perceive the person who's giving it as a credible source of feedback? Mm-hmm. We then move on to elaborate. So once a person has received feedback, it's really important, of course, that they 
actually really think about that feedback. They think about those comments and what they mean and what they imply. It might also involve the learner actually looking for clarification of things that they don't understand and elaborating on those bits. The fifth part, I think for me, is a particularly interesting part because we really think this is an area where there has been far too little research, which is revisiting the feedback. So if I've read a piece of feedback or a piece of written feedback and I've understood it and I've elaborated on it, but I don't have the immediate opportunity to implement that feedback, maybe that opportunity will come in weeks or months. Mm -hmm. When that opportunity arises, do I go back to that original feedback or to even think back to that original feedback to try and make connections with it to figure out how I can apply it now really feels like there's very little research that we could find that speaks to that question and then finally the sixth step is adjustment I suppose in some ways the most obvious step does the learner actually do something differently by means of implementing that feedback do they go away and access some resources that they've been advised would be useful to them? Or do they make changes to the work itself to implement the comments and to take on board the advice? So all of these are all kind of things that psychologically could be happening within the individual learner that would explain why they might ultimately change or not change their behavior in response to any piece of feedback. And we need to understand some of those psychological mechanisms to really understand when and why and for whom certain kinds of feedback or feedback interventions really work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a, a really nice opportunity to overlay some very broad psychological processes onto this framework. As Rob mm-hmm. was talking through those different stages, you can see that some of the things that really need to be understood include perception, attention, Mm -hmm. memory, reasoning, Mm -hmm. decision-making, goal-setting, self-regulation. So there's there's so much scope, I think, to bring this psychological science of feedback to life by drawing upon methods, approaches, frameworks from those different areas of psychology to help illuminate these different stages of the process. That's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, we it goes back to Naomi's earlier point that we we can't just think of these as questions for educational psychology. They're questions for social psychology and for cognitive psychology and mm-hmm. for personality psychology and all those different domains all have something to say about these questions, but we're not necessarily drawing them together very effectively right now. That is so rich. It's really just so cool how you have made these connections and organized the recommendations of literature into, Naomi, as you said, this phase structure that really connects so nicely to so many other areas. And I'm excited about not only connecting it to other theories about psychological processing, but also like other contexts, right? So this is about assessment feedback. I could see it applying to coaching. I can see it applying to interpersonal relationships. You know, if we make some progress here, maybe someday I'll figure out why my kids don't listen to me, right? <laughs> you know, like that, that would be really exciting. So there's just a ton here. And Rob, I really appreciate how you so clearly outlined those six phases or six stages and illustrated just the tremendous generativity of the work both of you have done. So congratulations on this really substantive contribution to the field. There's lots of directions for future research off of what you've done. Are there any in particular that you're like, gosh, that that one's really promising. I really hope some work gets done in those areas. I think one of the really interesting ones for me is those decisions that a learner makes when 
reasoning with feedback and the process that takes place between receiving that feedback and deciding whether or not to use it. Because Mm -hmm. I think there's a risk that we take a very simplistic approach to the impact of feedback in saying that if a learner receives a comment on a particular element of their work and then they change that, Mm-hmm. in a subsequent piece of work that feedback has been impactful but actually that that learner could be making a change on a really superficial level without ever mm-hmm. understanding why they needed to make that change and what it meant and then as rob was saying earlier that's really going to limit the transfer of, of that effect yep. on the other hand you could have a learner who receives similar feedback and then when you look at their subsequent work they haven't made a particular change but it could be that they've been through a really deep and rich reasoning process to work with the feedback to think about mm-hmm. whether it applies and mm-hmm. they might have made a very conscious decision not to enact that particular comment or that particular part of feedback and I think that's something we really need to know a lot more about how people make those decisions about whether mm-hmm. or not to act and what might be some of the factors that influence decision making in that context. Mm-hmm. And I suppose from my perspective I've already mentioned this revisit stage is somewhere that I really think that there's a huge amount of work to be done and really interesting work to be done. We made a connection in our editorial paper with the psychological literature on prospect of memory. So these two literatures don't obviously fit together until you dig into it a little bit more. But what do we know about whether students ever go back to their feedback to think about it and apply Well, Mm -hmm. to some extent, and I'm not personally an expert in prospective memory, but what we do know is that it's actually an extremely challenging task to think about remembering something in future. How am I going to remember to do this in future? How am I going to remember to implement this feedback in future or that I've received this feedback when it's useful to me at an unknown future time? And that whole literature on prospective memory, I think, can be really rich and informative for giving us theoretical predictions about under what circumstances students might be more likely to remember to use their feedback in future Mm -hmm. or what kinds of interventions might be effective in helping students to do that. I agree. Really fascinating. You know, what cues students to remember feedback and implement it? You know, it's not like you can set an alert on your phone to be like, don't forget to do what Rob (laughs) taught me how to do. Right. So, yeah, really fascinating stuff. And, you know, one thing that we ask guest editors of special issues and educational psychologists to do is to write an introductory piece that really makes its own unique contribution. And, And you two have really done a fantastic job with that. So, Thank you for all the work that went into this introductory article and all of your insights. I think the field's going to really benefit from everything that you've done. I feel like we should take a minute to talk a little bit about, in a broad overview, some of the other articles in the special issue. I'm sure listeners will be interested in hearing what other kinds of ideas they could explore when they grab this issue. So can you talk to us a little bit about the other authors and their work? Yes, so one of the papers in the special issue, Fong and Shallot, this looks at effective feedback from the perspective of social psychology and brings together theories of motivation and emotion. And they use this really fantastic five-question framework to think about learners' responses to feedback and how that might give us an indication of of the mechanisms underpinning effective feedback. Mm -hmm. And This approach, focusing on social dynamics in feedback, I think is really important. And we know that motivation, emotion are really important parts of the feedback process. Yet what they argue is that the feedback research and the motivational research 
and not necessarily speaking to each other as strongly as they might do. And so, as we also argued in our editorial, there's this need to de-silo the field. Again, going back to this cohesive psychological science that brings different areas together Mm -hmm. so that we can look at the interplay between these factors. And those bringing different literatures together, I think, not only helps us to understand processes in different ways, it also helps us to generate new exciting research questions and use different methods borrowing Mm -hmm. from different domains so I think that's a really valuable contribution. Mm -hmm. We're also really keen to bring a psychometric perspective into the special issue because we know how prominent self-report methods are in the literature on feedback and in many of those review papers, including our own, there's often a sense that this over-reliance on self-report is a problematic element of the feedback literature because it's not necessarily establishing effectiveness of feedback, but merely perceptions of mm-hmm. effectiveness. And so in the fourth paper of the special issue, Brown and Zhao looked at the existing self-report inventories on feedback, those that in some way measure perceptions of feedback. And they were particularly interested in looking at the quality of these measures, what they tell us, but whether there's any connection between these kinds of self-reported perceptions of feedback and actual behaviour. So, for example, does the student who reports being more interested in feedback actually make better use of feedback? And across the inventories that they reviewed, they found only one example where the self-report measures were related to behavioural outcomes. Mm. And even in that case, it wasn't directly in an educational context. It was Mm. was tangentially related to education. So I think that's really important in showing that we use a lot of these self-report measures and they can be really valuable, but they really need to tell us something about behaviour. And that doesn't seem to be something that's present in the literature at the moment. Mm So we also have two other target papers in the special issue, one of which is by Emily Fife and colleagues who conduct a systematic review of the literature on to what extent receiving corrective feedback is beneficial for young children, so children aged between three and 11. Mm -hmm. So very much from the cognitive developmental tradition of psychology. And as many listeners perhaps already know, a lot of the literature on feedback is very much focused on higher education. It's focused on university learners. So we were really keen to bring in this developmental angle to the special issue. So Fife and colleagues are interested in not just assessing to what extent corrective feedback is beneficial, but also looking at some of the variability in those effects. In what kinds of contexts is it more beneficial or less beneficial? And they look across three different domains. So they look at literacy, they look at mathematics, and they look at problem solving. And one of, for me, the real take-home messages from this paper is that you know, there is, there is some clear evidence that corrective feedback does benefit these young learners, but there's so much variability across these different contexts. And in particular, what I took away is that we can't necessarily at the moment fill in all the gaps in understanding why or to what extent this variability is specific to those contexts. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we might have studied a particular corrective feedback intervention in mathematics with seven-year-old learners. And we might have studied the same kind of intervention in problem solving with 10-year-old learners. And maybe it works in one context, 
but it doesn't work in the other context. But we can't entirely say, is that because it's the different subjects or different ages of children? And some of those gaps in the literature really need to be filled in to understand what is really going on here and which are the individual differences or which are the learner characteristics that really matter in determining the effectiveness of corrective feedback. So that was a really cool paper. The other final paper that we included as a target paper was a really interesting paper by Kent Harbour, who reviews a very interesting experimental social psychology literature on what he calls the positive feedback bias. And this is a bias in the kinds of feedback that are given to racially minoritized learners by instructors who are typically white instructors. So what Kent Harbour outlines is the evidence that it can often be the case that white instructors, perhaps through a fear of being perceived as biased or prejudiced, tend to give less critical, more positive feedback to Mm. black and other ethnic minority learners. And as a result, those learners are robbed of opportunities to really improve their own work. So, you know, you could frame this as some lovely, beneficial, benevolent bias that these white instructors are being extra generous to these learners, but it really doesn't work that way. They're being prevented from receiving the kind of critical feedback that would really benefit them. I think there are two things that for me stood out from this paper. One is that this is exactly the kind of research that we believed was out there that neither Naomi or I began already aware of mm-hmm. that actually is systematic, programmatic, experimental work happening on how feedback works, what are the mechanisms. So this was you know, exactly the kind of research we wanted our special issue to draw out. I think the other thing that really interests me about this paper is the author's speculations and also sometimes uh, evidence-driven arguments about how teachers might tackle this. You know, what kinds of interventions are likely to prevent this kind of bias? Mm. Are we going to be able to prevent it just by trying to not be biased, (laughs) you know, Mm. by being aware of it? Is awareness itself going to prevent it? Or do we need something much more systematic in terms of school structures and the processes Mm -hmm. by which we give feedback? Mm -hmm. So that for me was a really interesting aspect that I think teachers and educators will really take something from. And as well as the four target articles, we also had within the special issue a fantastic commentary by Ernesto Panadero. And I really like what Ernesto was able to do because he took this idea of feedback research going through various shifts and and these changes in conceptualization. So as we've talked about, away from product towards process, the complexity of feedback, but also the need to think very differently about methods. He took that context and described what we could learn from other fields that have gone through similar challenges or similar changes and what we could learn rather than reinventing the wheel, seeing how the, the complexity, the need for developing conceptualizations or different methods what we could learn from other areas. And for this, he drew upon the field of self-regulated learning. Mm -hmm. And he talked about how the field of self-regulated learning has been through a similar shift away from self-report towards thinking about perhaps other ways of measuring student self-regulated learning and going from self-report towards 
perhaps the use of online measures like eye tracking, but also a really interesting trend in the self-regulation literature about this process through research of of intervention and assessment, where Mm -hmm. the process of measurement itself, for example, completing a learning diary, actually changes the outcome that we're intending to measure, for example, self-regulated learning, Mm -hmm. which I think is really valuable to, to feedback research as well, because I think a lot of the things that we might be using as interventions within feedback science actually have the capacity to change many of these processes or mechanisms that we've been talking about within our editorial. And Ernesto leads us to think very critically about the potential of multimodal methods in feedback research. So bringing together in the same study behavioural indicators, physiological reactions, as well as subjective experience. So not saying that particular methods or approaches are not valuable, but they can have a lot more value if they're brought together and we can understand what's going on in a feedback process in a much more complex way. Mm -hmm. So it was a really great way to round off the special issue Mm -hmm. and provide those further insights that I think will help to drive research forwards. I totally agree. And what a wonderful set of articles that really explore the problem space and explore the various perspectives on a new cohesive psychological science of feedback. So congratulations on bringing together a really wonderful group of authors and commentators. And I just I really hope our listeners check out your special issue because it is dynamite. I know that some of our listeners are interested in maybe proposing a special issue for educational psychologists and might benefit from any tips or tricks or lessons learned that you'd like to share with them. Anything you want to share with potential guest editors for the future? I think sometimes there's a perception that a special issue needs to have a very cohesive set of articles that are all aligned in a particular way or that bring some kind of key theme. And actually, for us, the articles in our special issue, and we write about this in our editorial, are papers that you wouldn't normally see together, let's say in a a conference or a symposium because they're actually very very different yet that for us I think is the really important part of a special issue that they are very different lenses that when we put them together something quite interesting happens in the space in between so I think being able to think about a potential special issue in that way as having enough variability I think across the articles to be able to be quite generative was actually something that I certainly hadn't thought about beforehand Mm -hmm. but that really strikes me now as an important part of the process. Great. Yeah I think the thing from my perspective that really stands out is that editing a special issue of Educational Psychologist was certainly not by any stretch of the imagination a pure administrative exercise where we Mm -hmm you know, had Mm -hmm. people submitting proposals and then we action edited them and sent them out for review and accepted or rejected them. In, I suppose, what might be expected as a more traditional sense, this very much felt like a very involved process of trying to really build something that genuinely, as a whole, contributed significantly to the literature. And I think Mm -hmm. we have really pushed each of the individual groups of authors to make that truly generative and truly forward-looking contribution Mm -hmm. to the literature. And we've also had to push ourselves as well to that Mm -hmm. effect. In that way, the challenge has been made that process more rewarding. You know, we we feel that Mm -hmm. we've done something that 
has actually enabled this pulling together of perspectives that might change things and might improve the literature Mm -hmm. rather than just pulling together a few interesting papers. So I, I think, you know, prospective special issue editors will hopefully be both cautioned and encouraged by that, that this really is a a very involved but rewarding process. I I love that. And I I hope that is the case for guest editors, right? It is, it's a lot of work. And thank you again for all the hard work, but you were, you were leading, you were consulting, you were collaborating, guiding uh, with your authors. And it really has produced a great set of articles that Naomi, as you said, it's really diverse, different perspectives, mm-hmm. authors that might not appear again in the same special issue, but who together, I think, really give readers so much to consider about the next steps for this mm-hmm. psychological science of feedback. So so thank you again. I think another really important point about the process, and Rob said, you know, we pushed ourselves, but Jeff, you also pushed us in a mm-hmm. really, really good way. Yeah. And I think for anybody hearing this and thinking, oh, it's going to be really challenging, the support that we got from you, Jeff, was amazing. And, and mm-hmm. whenever we wanted to have a chat or we wanted to get a, a second opinion or we were grappling with what we were working with in terms of revisions, you were always willing to have a chat. And I think what that did for us as, as guest editors was enabled us to develop, not only as researchers and being able to write this article, but also as editors and learn a lot from your experience and expertise as well. So I think that's a really valuable part of the process. It was felt very much, you know, a form of mentorship really in yeah. journal editing. Absolutely. Oh, thanks. That That's nice of you to say. I'm glad I was able to help out a little bit. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun working with you and working with other people in the journal and I learned a ton. So it's it's a pleasure for me. And I'm glad that it was helpful. And it certainly produced a wonderful special issue. So before we wrap up, I'm always interested in what you're working on now, your own personal scholarship. Do you want to say a few words, each of you, about kind of what you're working on now that excites you? Naomi, maybe you go first. Well, what excites me the most really is anything that I get to work with Rob on, to be fair. So um, <laughs> we're probably going to uh, maybe draw on the same thing. I don't know. But one of the things that, that we've been doing for, for several years is trying to understand memory for feedback. And as you mentioned, this draws upon Rob's expertise in memory and memory mm-hmm. research. And it's been a really exciting opportunity to bring some of that to the study of feedback. And we're doing some work that I think starts to hint some of the mechanisms that we've been talking about and that we think are really important. So we have this really strong interest in experimental work that helps to uncover psychological mechanisms. And one of the things that we've done is we worked with one of the UK's public exam bodies to Mm -hmm. test people's memory for feedback in the field away from our lab-based research. And Mm -hmm. they'd done a mock exam they received some feedback. We were then able to code that feedback, test their memory for feedback and find what types of comments they were more or less likely to remember. Mm. And one of the things that the literature typically says is that feedback that targets the process through which learners undertook a task is more effective than feedback that focuses on the nature of the task itself Mm -hmm. tends to be more more generalizable but again we don't know why what are the mechanisms and 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 our data from this study show that students are significantly more likely to remember that process level feedback than the task level feedback which Mm. points towards at least one mechanism by which this form of feedback is effective and I think these kinds of studies that we do, I certainly really enjoy doing because I feel it brings the psychology and the methods from psychology to understanding feedback, but with really clear practical implications as well. That sounds amazing. I'm excited that you're able to move in that direction. Rob, what about you? What are you working on? 
Well, I think exactly as Naomi said, we're both very interested in looking for interesting ways of getting at some of these psychological mechanistic questions. So Naomi mentioned that we've been doing some really interesting research on memory for feedback and using different kinds of memory measures. But we've also been doing work in the past using things like eye tracking, Mm -hmm. using interesting kind of linguistic measures to look at the actual words people use when they're describing their experiences, for example. So we're definitely eager to continue exploring those different kinds of fun, I suppose, psychological Mm -hmm. methods for, for getting to grips with these different stages of the process. I also recently started a a very new job in a very different sector, which is a new challenge for me, working for the National Institute of Teaching in England. So I'm kind of currently getting to grips with a whole new world of research questions that are out there to be asked. And in particular, I think one that's already grabbing my interest is, you mentioned earlier coaching, but coaching and mentoring teachers receiving mentoring on their practice when they're newly trained Mm -hmm. insofar as that is a question that overlaps very clearly with feedback i'm really interested in getting to grips with what effective mentoring looks like and how we might improve the quality and sustainability of those kinds of practices fascinating yeah so it's obvious right you two are taking the lessons learned from your special issue and advancing your research and i i think our listeners and people who check out your special issue are going to do the same thing so Kudos to you. It's just, it's a really exciting new direction for research on the psychology of feedback. Well, that seems like a really wonderful place to stop for today. So I really encourage our listeners to check out Naomi and Rob's special issue of Educational Psychologist entitled Psychological Perspectives on the Effects and Effectiveness of Assessment Feedback, and also their really wonderful introductory article entitled Toward a Cohesive Psychological Science of Effective Feedback. Um, So Rob and Naomi, again, thanks so much for your leadership on the special issue, and thanks for talking to me about it today. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. And finally, to you, our listener, um, if you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to check out our other episodes. You can find them on your favorite podcast app. Please consider rating and reviewing us. That really helps. You can also go to our APA Division 15 website, and you'll find all of our podcasts linked in the publication section. Thanks for listening. <music>